Thank you. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome all of you, uh, those of you in this room, next door in venue, tuning in on Facebook Live. We are so glad that you've joined us, and we are especially glad that we're able to celebrate two people in our church that will celebrate their 100th birthday I already have this year. That is incredible. It is amazing. And I don't know. Well, how much energy you had to marshal this morning to get here to church, but Florence has been here for all three services. We got to acknowledge that. That's just incredible. Thank you so much for being with us, Florence. I had the opportunity earlier this morning to ask Florence what her secret was to living to 100 years old. Would you like to know what it is? She said it's bacon. It's not that. Sorry to disappoint you. No, without just skipping a beat, she said, the Lord God Almighty. Those are words to live by to 100 and beyond for all eternity. Those are words to live by. So thank you for your wisdom and your presence with us here this morning, uh, as well as to the rest of you. We are kicking off a brand new message series today called Rhythm. It is about the spiritual practices of Jesus because Jesus lived in this steady rhythm. For example, uh, he was surrounded by massive crowds, but he also took time to be alone. He feasted, but he also fasted. Every single thing that he set out to accomplish in life, he did, but he was never in a hurry. His life had this rhythm to it. Now, meanwhile, we live in such a perpetual state of busyness and hurry all the time, don't we? Someone asks you, how are you doing? How have you been? What do we say? Busy. I've been busy. Just busy. So parents are busy. Kids are busy. Students are busy. Grandparents are busy. People crawling down Highway 1 at three miles an hour, they're busy. So I think we can all learn something from the spiritual practices and life of Jesus. And we chose this series at this time in particular because this Wednesday, Lent begins, and Lent is a way that uh, Christians, really going back to the beginning, it wasn't always called Lent, but these practices have been adopted by Christians as a way of preparing ourselves for Easter. So over the next 40 days, people will uh, be maybe praying in a particular way or practicing a solitude or fasting or something like that. But again, it's, a, it's not just about giving something up. We often think about that at the time of Lent, giving things up. But it's, it's really about making space to add things, things that connect us with God and others, but so often are crowded out by our busy lives. Now, some of you may have been practicing Lent for decades. You're aware of the blessings and benefits. Others of us maybe are like, it's kind of weird. I, I, my family didn't do that. My church didn't do that. Why would I want to do that? Well, think of it this way. How many of you have noticed that your garage has a way of magically filling itself up with stuff? <laughs> Ever, ever see? And if you don't have a garage, maybe a room in your house, a closet, a drawer, you'll never find yourself stepping back and thinking, wow, what am I going to do with all that space? It's just not going to happen. 
Right? Since confession is good for the soul and church. How many of you have a car and you have a garage, but you cannot park the car in the garage? Any of us in that club? I'm in that club right now, even though our garage is the same size that it's always been. Car that we've had for 18 years, it hasn't gotten any bigger. It just doesn't live in the garage anymore. It has been evicted by all of the stuff that's there. And my friends, that's our lives. Busy, cluttered, out of space. And this is no small thing. Because when this happens, it impacts every single one of our relationships, including our relationship with God. Pastor and author John Ortberg put it this way. He says in one of his books, and I'm indebted to him for some of my thoughts today, but he says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That's wise. And you know what? The same is true for your marriage, your relationships with your kids, your friends, your neighbors. The great danger is that we will skim these relationships rather than living deeply in them, and that's a tragedy. And perhaps you're like me. Every, every so often, I'll, I'll reflect, I'll take inventory of my relationships, and there are times when I do this, I, I'm weighed down by the realization that, that you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, father, friend, far too often I settle for mediocrity. In other words, <laughs> the trivial things are in the garage and the things that are most important are relegated to the driveway or curb. You know what I'm saying? Well, here's the good news, if, if you relate to any of this. Matthew's gospel records in chapter 11 a day when Jesus cried out to a, a group of people with mediocre lives. And he said this to them. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not saying, come to me if you need a vacation, although that's a good blessing. Or come to me if you think that your life might need a little bit of a tune-up. He's saying, come to me if you're aware that your whole life needs to be transformed by me. So th this is a powerful invitation. And so let's take a, take a few moments to, to look at it a little bit more closely. Uh, for starters, the, the group that Jesus is addressing here, his audience, uh, these are not people who you would say had their lives all nicely put together 
Okay, they weren't movers and shakers. They weren't necessarily important. In fact, just two verses earlier, Jesus refers to them as children because they're needy. They're not sophisticated. But if you look back a few verses even earlier than that in Matthew 11, you'll see that Jesus rebukes the towns where he did most of his miracles And he does this because the people living in those towns had hard hearts. When Jesus invited them to follow him, they say, essentially, no thanks. We don't really need you. And as is so often the case, those leading the resistance were the the spiritual elites, the religious rulers, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the priests, who are so comfortable with what you might call their spiritual correctness that they had no need for Jesus, at least in their estimation. But the people that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, these people are weary, they are burdened, they are weighed down by, among other things, religious expectations that they cannot live up to, And certainly they would have their own personal expectations and standards that they cannot live up to either. Rather, they are are burdened by the ongoing trials and toil of life, problems, fears, wounds, weary, and full of worries. And perhaps today, maybe you just find yourself in that same place. And if that's the case, uh, maybe as a way of uncovering that a little bit, I put in your notes uh, under the heading 10 signs that you are weary and burdened, a little opportunity for some self-assessment here. And I got these from a book that I've been reading called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a pastor named John Mark Comer. And again, I've drawn from some of his thoughts here today, but it's a really good book. But I want you to see if some of these apply to you, these 10 signs that you are weary and burdened. And if you want to be really brave, I put next to those different signs a little place for you to put a little check mark if you're really brave. Uh, Maybe you want to do that later when there's not someone sitting next to you looking down at your notes seeing how messed up you are. So... (laughs) However you want to do that, I hope you will take this to heart and actually think about this. For example, do you find yourself experiencing irritability? You might have to ask your spouse, your kids, your coworkers for, in order to get an honest answer, right? Uh, or how about hypersensitivity? You know, perhaps the words, how dare you? Or you have no idea if those have left your lips sometime recently and you're offended that I'm bringing that up. You might want to check that little section, just saying. Or maybe you struggle with restlessness. You're kind of like a shark. You can never stop swimming, right? Which can account for a workaholism, nonstop activity. You always have to have something to do, almost as if you have to stay ahead of thoughts and emotions that you're not able to simply sit. Or maybe your weariness and burdens have left you in a state of emotional numbness. You just don't care anymore. And if we get to that place, it can cascade into some of these other signs, out-of-order priorities, lack of care for your body, escapist behaviors. And along the way, you've probably experienced, if you've gone through the cycle, there is a slippage of 
spiritual practices. It's like, I, I can't stay. I can't even focus when I pray. I just get distracted or I open my Bible. It just seems so hard to just read and try to understand. It's so much easier to just look into a screen that doesn't require really anything of me but my eyeballs. And as these things accumulate in our lives, eventually we end up feeling isolation from God and from others, which is not a great place to be. So aren't you glad you came to church today? Got to go, the, go down the bummer list, right? But if you, if you actually resonate with some of these things or many of these things, I, I want to assure you, you are not alone. A lot of us experience this, maybe be experiencing it right now. I can tell you there's times in my life I can specifically think of, I would have checked all 10 of these things. Well, the good, the good news is this. Because if that's you, Jesus is calling out to you today, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, I will give you rest. I will give you what you need And notice what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what does that mean? It means his yoke is his authority. It's his teaching. It's his very way of life. And so Jesus is is calling us to surrender to him, to submit to his lordship in our lives. But we don't have to be afraid of that because, after all, this is Jesus who reminds us, but I'm, I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. I'm, not, I'm not, not like those who burden you like the religious authorities or religion itself. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is really the heart of what I have to say to you. This, is, this, is, this points to something that I think so often we miss in our Christian culture. Follow me. Because so often we focus on what Jesus has to say. We want, we want to dive into, you know, issues that inform our theology and our doctrine, and that is all good and necessary. But sometimes we do that at the expense of how he actually teaches us to live. So you might say there is the truth of Jesus, but there is also the way of Jesus, how he lived his life that he offers to teach us here in this invitation. In fact, you may be aware that before Christians were called Christians, before they even had their scriptures, especially the New Testament, available to them, they were called followers of the what? Way. Because after all, that's what followers do. They imitate the life of their master, which seems so simple, and yet we can walk around with Jesus in our head, but somewhat scarce in our lives. And that brings us really to the big idea, not just for this morning, but this entire series. In fact, I hope that this is something that will lodge itself in our hearts, our souls, and our imaginations, and it is this. If I want to experience the life of Christ, and I'm assuming you do, his love, his joy, his peace, his rhythm of life, if I want these things, I need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The lifestyle. Now, to get a picture of this, I want you to think of the difference between a fan and a follower, okay? For instance, how many of you would say you are a fan of the Golden State Warriors? 
Okay, I'll look around the room. If I asked this question a year ago, three times as many hands would have shot up, right? And I, I, will, I will admit that I'm somewhat of a fair weather fan. I wasn't following them during the, you know, the We Believe Warriors and the Don Nelson Warriors and stuff like that. I jumped on the bandwagon like a lot of you about four or five years ago when what? It was Steph and Clay and Iggy and Draymond and then Kevin Durant. It's like, this is amazing. What is not to be excited about? I mean, it's incredible. I would, I would watch just about every single game because the payoff was there, right? Now? Not so much, huh? I mean, a year ago, I could have gone down the list of their roster. I could have told you about everyone on the team this year. I'm like, who's that guy? You know, you keep shifting between here and, and San Francisco. And I, I guess you could say I know enough about this year's team that I was able to recognize one of their rookie players in Macy's on Friday afternoon, in part because he was really, really tall. But I go... He, I, I've seen him, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. I didn't know his name though, and so I ducked behind some clothes and I looked it up on my phone. And I'm looking, and I, I find him on their roster, and I go, oh yeah, there he is. That's Alan um, Sumailovich, or something like that. And so now armed with confidence and this new intel, I walk up to him and I say, hi, oh, aren't you Alan Sumailovich from on the Warriors? And he's like, oh, yes, and he's 6'10". So I'm like looking up at Goliath when I'm meeting him. He was very nice. And what I, what I should have said in that moment was, it's nice to meet you. Have a great day. Done. That's what I should have done. <laughs> However, it was as if the spirit of a character that Chris Farley used to play kind of overtook me. <laughs> and so... <laughs> What I actually said was, um, uh, I really like watching you. <laughs> like, remember that time you, you played Phoenix? You scored 10 points? That was awesome! <sighs> and it got worse. <laughs> you, you, you played so happy. <laughs> sure he was really looking for that one. But I was not done. No, I wasn't done. To show how much of a super fan I am, I actually said to him, so uh, how do you pronounce your name anyway? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, Sabelegich. Oh yeah. Samaliagich, that's right, I, I knew that. And then I, I was thinking that name, it, it, it sounds like my neighbor's relatives who are all from Croatia, and I've learned a little bit about Croatian culture and stuff like that. So I go, so uh, are you from Croatia? And he looks down from 6'10 and goes, no, Serbia. And if you know anything about how much the Serbians and the Croatians love each other, you know, that was just a choice moment. <laughs> About the time it was time to kind of pull the ripcord and just kind of bail out before he like punched me or something. But it, it, it exposed just the shallowness of, you know, my awareness of the team or in particular him. Like my, my, my mediocre relationship was just laid bare right there. And listen, 
This is what Ortberg is getting it, uh, is talking about when he talks about skimming life, skimming relationships, skimming faith. It's like, well, Jesus, I, I'm a fan of yours. I, I, I know some of your stats and stories. I show up at some of your gatherings. I would even follow you on Instagram if I could. I really would. But then when our lives get turned upside down or we just find ourselves in a perpetual state of feeling weary and burdened, we wonder what in the world is wrong with our faith. Is it possible that we've confused being a fan with a follower? Because again, if I want to experience the life of Jesus... It goes beyond just things I might agree to in my head. It means adopting, emulating the lifestyle of Jesus. And so in the time that we have left, I just want to point out two things that we can apply to make this more of a reality in our lives. Of course, it's God's work, but but he invites us to follow him. And so just two things we can apply, every single one of us. And the first one is this. Living like Jesus means making space for my relationship with God. Hurry, nonstop busyness left unchecked will strangle your time with God. It will strangle your relationship, in fact. And I want you to see how Jesus deals with this in his own life. Uh, Fascinating, in Luke 5, it says that the news about him, that's Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses But watch this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the situation is Jesus in his ministry, he's become so popular, he's become viral as we would say. Crowds would have flocked to him 24-7. How does he respond? He withdraws often. He is known for for peeling off by himself so that he can pray, so that he can spend time alone with his father. That's the rhythm of his life that we're talking about, from the intensity of the crowds to the privacy of prayer. Jesus had compassion. He had patience. He had margin for the crowds, in part because he was relentless about getting away by himself to pray. Now, just think about that for a moment, because if Jesus Christ, God incarnate, if if that's how he lived, seeking solitude, prayer, silence, if that's how he lives, what makes us think that we don't need those things too, that we can live some other way? And not only does Jesus Living like Jesus looked like making space for a relationship with God. It also means making space for my relationships with other people. I love this next little passage I want to take you to. It's in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, because in it you see not only is Jesus aware of how the demands of of ministry and crowds and people uh, have a toll on him, but he's also looking out for his disciples here, where it says, starting at verse 31, he says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, you owe it to yourself to read the rest of this passage because it's kind of it's hysterical because they head off across the lake to the solitary place. Meanwhile, the crowds figure out where they're going to go, and they start running along the shoreline. They're like racing all the way around. By the time the boat arrives at this you know, presumably solitary shore, the crowds have beat them. <laughs> Jesus turns to the disciples like, sorry, guys, no vacation. Least we had the boat ride. But what I love about this is that even, it just goes to show even the best laid plans can be sabotaged, not by the evil desires of other people. These people, you know, they, 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 they had wonderful desires. But it goes to show how you know, sometimes we just can't keep up with every single agenda, every single need, because as they compound in our lives, they conspire to crowd out our relationship with God and for those most close to us. And it will happen every time. This is why, by the way, that on his last evening with his disciples before he would be crucified, just maybe hour two before he was arrested he would say these words to them and these have to carry a lot of weight right because these are kind of famous last words and in john 15 he says this to his disciples as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you obey my commands you will remain in my love just as i have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, just copy me, guys. The way I loved God, the way I loved you, I want you to do the same. And then he just kind of distills it all down. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, many of us are familiar with this passage. You, you agree with it. You, you want it in your lives. How do we make space for it? How do we make space for this kind of love to grow and to flourish? I want to encourage you to flip your notes over to the back panel because this is where this, this idea of spiritual practices kind of connects, this rhythm of life. We're going to be looking at some of the life habits of Jesus, ways that he lived. These things are often called spiritual practices, and they're things like meditation and memorization, fasting and feasting, solitude, slowing, and much more. Jesus did all of these things and more. And you may have noticed, by the way, how society is catching up with the wisdom of these things. They are becoming more and more part of uh, people's uh, things that they, they want to be about. And I hope that you will be. I hope that you will, you will see this between now and Easter as a time where by shifting up your life just a little bit, it makes room for things that otherwise get crowded out. And again, this is not about adopting a bunch of rules. It, it's about you know, removing some of the clutter so that there are, there's space for the things that matter most, and, and wouldn't we all want to experience that? And I need to say, you know, our culture has a number of notions about what it looks like to invest in our spiritual lives. You know, for some, it's I go to yoga class a couple times a week. Others, it might be I, I go for walks on the beach or, or in the forest. For many of us, it's gathering here at church on a weekly basis, which is a wonderful thing that we're called to do. 
But in the final analysis, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, true spirituality comes down to really two things, loving God with our whole being and loving others as ourselves. That is true biblical and Christian spirituality, the love of God and the love of others. And it goes, I need to mention, this only can happen through God's power, through it's His project, not our willpower. But at the same time, in this invitation in Matthew 11, Jesus is inviting us to cooperate with this process in our lives. He's giving us an opportunity to walk with Him and learn from Him. And along those lines, I want to give you kind of a key principle that, that's important to bear in mind in the midst of of this subject today, which is this. There is a huge difference between trying and training. We might say, well, hey, that sounds good. I might try to do that. Or I might try to do this. Well, you might try to run a marathon tomorrow too. But the only people that actually finish marathons are the people who what? Train. Train. They trained for it. They grow into it. And these, these spiritual practices are a, a way of training ourselves to live in the ways that Jesus lived. It's like if you're in a boat, a sailboat. If you want to go from one place to another, the only thing you can really do is raise the sail, right? You can't create the wind. But as you do, you position yourself for the power of that wind to propel you along. And that's essentially what we're talking about with these practices. And for the sake of clarity, I want to make three quick notes about spiritual practices. The first one is this. Spiritual practices are not necessarily unpleasant, okay? It's not about going, oh, Lord, I'm going to suffer for you because that's going to prove something. Not at all. I mean, even fasting. I, I have friends in this church who fast regularly, year-round, for both the physical and spiritual benefits, and they will tell you that it's, like, no big deal. Like, they they don't go onto like the torture rack every time they, they fast. It's just something they've incorporated into their life. It's a part of the natural rhythm of their week. Now, candidly, I'm a bit of a lightweight in that regard. And so last year for Lent, I decided to declare a fast with Twitter. I know that's very deeply spiritual of me to do, but I did. Uh, it's the only social media I do, and I don't even really tweet. I just have it so I can get news and information from sources that I want to get it from. But it can be a real time sink, though. You might know that, you know. And so I thought, well, I'm going to fast from this. I'm not going to do that because I'm sure there are things I could put into that space that would be more valuable. And it turns out, A, it was completely unpainful, and B, I did fill that space with, with much more valuable things. I also, it was somewhat enlightening at the same time because no sooner did I just stop, you know, going to my little... Um, Twitter thing, then uh, I could tell the algorithms started to freak out at the Twitter servers somewhere. And I'd get these emails, somebody, so-and-so tweeted this, you ought to check out that. And like, please come back, we miss you. We want you to be a part of the Borg going forward. And it was like kind of weird and freaky and funny all at the same time. But my, 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 my point is this, and I assure you I have one. Fasting doesn't necessarily involve food, but even if it does, it does not necessarily need to be on pleasant. It can actually be very, very joyful. That's why people who do it continue to do it. 
Another thing, this, this is huge. Spiritual practices are not about earning God's favor. It's not like if I, I, I do something, Lord, I meditate, I pray, I spend time alone, you're going to love me more, you're going to answer my prayers more favorably, any of that stuff. This is not about earning any of God's favor. He already loves you more than you can even begin to imagine. Again, this is about centering ourselves, making space so that we can actually experience his love, to be transformed by his love, to be filled with it in such a way that it flows out of us into the lives of those around us. In other words, you might put it this way, spiritual practices are about making space for grace. That's all it is. Because there are good and beautiful things that God does, I believe, want to pour into our lives. But if there's no room in our hearts, he's not just going to foist these things upon us. So in closing, I would encourage all of us this morning to answer this question. How will I respond to Jesus' invitation? This invitation that he says, come to me. Not just, again, to the life of Jesus, but to the lifestyle. To learn from him as he leads us. Earlier in this message, I mentioned how I fumbled through my conversation with Alan Schmeiligich. That's how you actually say it, I think. That's as close as I can get. But again, it was because, after all, I'm kind of a fair weather fan. Being a follower is much different. Being a follower reminds me of a time when my son Luke was, I don't know, three and a half, four years old, and Luke was obsessed with Superman. Luke wanted to be Superman so bad, he lived in that costume, I'm not kidding you, for at least an entire summer, maybe longer, I don't know, we had to peel the thing off of him. But when he was wearing that suit, he was just caught up with this idea of being Superman. And that man, you know, he was fearless. I mean, he could face anything because after all, he was Superman. And as Superman, man, he was strong, man. He just, any challenge, he was up for it. Now, we look at that and go, well, that's, that's sweet. That's cute. Your son got to, you know, do what kids do. Got caught up in their emotion and and, 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 and their imagination, and, and that's, that's all very quaint. But then again, wasn't it Jesus, after all, who said, if you want to enter my kingdom, you have to become like a what? A child. See, child, children teach us something about what it means to be a follower. Because followers are not content to merely know about their heroes. Followers actually want to be their heroes, to be like them in every way they can. And so again, how will you respond to Jesus' invitation to teach you, to teach me, how we might be the same in regards to him, our ultimate hero? Because he is still calling out today, saying, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, doesn't that sound good? Amen. Say amen if that sounds good. Amen. Amen. Well, then let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today. And Lord, I'm mindful of the fact that this life that we we talk about, the invitation to follow our Lord Jesus, none of that would be possible were not for what he did on the cross. Nor would it be possible were not for his resurrection. That is the foundation of our faith. And Lord, my prayer for all of us here in this church, people listening online, wherever, is that over the course of this this season ahead of us, the season of Lent, the season of preparation, that, Lord, you would, you would draw us in, that we would just be positively drawn to the opportunity to make space in our lives so that when, when Easter does arrive and Good Friday arrives, it's not just like a blip on the calendar of our busy lives, but that we're able to enter into it with such a richness, such a fullness, because we have been anticipating it, we've been preparing for it, we've been making room for it in our lives, and it would just, just blow our socks off with wonder and joy and awe when that day arrives. And so, Lord, as we we journey towards it during this season, would you draw us by your Spirit? Would you empower us to lean in to the opportunity that we have in the weeks to come? And may you bless us and enrich us and grow us as we follow our Lord and Savior, our hero, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen, amen.